0: Well, good morning. morning. Bike to work day. (laughs) Can I just say the response was underwhelming, wasn't it? (laughs) Right. Who actually did it? Who did it? Just raise your hand again if you. What on? You win the new car, although (laughs) you probably don't need it. You're going to be biking, right? But uh, I did not (laughs) bike to work. It would take me. I live in Loveland. It would take me three weeks. But. Uh, I was out there with the stations that we had, and this is not a, this is not a commercial. It's a thank you. But our friends at uh, Chick Fil A donated 600 sandwiches, two or three thousand dollars worth of sandwiches, and uh, we were able to give all of those out. I only ate 572 of them. And uh, again, it's not a commercial, a word from our sponsor in any way, but just just a a thank you to Chick Fil A for what they for what they did. Yeah. And I'm sure if they heard we've done this, they'd probably say, "My pleasure," wouldn't they? That's good. (laughs) All right, we're continuing this uh, series, God's nature, tracing His fingerprints. We're looking at how nature speaks to us of the character and nature of God. And this week it's birds, the God who cares. And what we're going to do is we're obeying a command that Jesus gave. He said, look at the birds. So we're going to do that. But we're also going to be considering a story that he told, the so-called prodigal son story. I felt a nudge I sensed from the Lord to bring these two ideas together, the birds and the prodigal son story. And some of you are looking at me right now saying, where is the connection? There are no birds in the prodigal son story. Now, now there are pigs, right? As we know, they don't fly, right? So the connection doesn't work in that regard. But let's see how we can do with this. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, Or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, are you not much more valuable than they? In the message version, just look at this, it goes like this, look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. And then switching into the first part of that prodigal story, Jesus told them this story, A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, "'At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, "'and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home.'" But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And the story continues, but we're going to focus in on this part. So... Next weekend, the weekend is coming up again, that weekend that I look forward to with such joyful, feverish anticipation. I am talking the 4th of July, and I get to preach. It's, 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 no, 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 it's all part of a conspiracy, it's. And every year I say it because every year people come up and ask me the same question. Do you British people celebrate the 4th of July? Why would we do that? We lost. I've got British friends here in this service. They've come all the way from England to be here. Guys, there's this thing called the War of Independence. We <laughs> Next weekend, we celebrate America as we know it, 246 years old. Before that, it was known as the United Colonies with those nasty British people. But now, 246 years. And a lot has happened in 246 years. Think about it. The entire history of the United States of America, 246. Now think about this number, 400 because there was a period in Israel's history for 400 years they heard absolutely nothing from God there was silence the prophet Malachi, the Old Testament prophet had prophesied see I will send the prophet Elijah to you Malachi 4:5. that's the last word it's over, silence 400 years. And they must have thought, where has God gone? Imagine being a first century Jew in Israel in the time of Jesus. Your recent history says God has probably abandoned you. In the 400 years, the Persians had come, the Greeks had come all occupying Israel, the Egyptians, the Syrians, they desecrated the temple. And now in the time of Jesus, it's the Romans. Circumstantially, it said, where has God gone? And then your religious leaders are letting you know that if God is interested, he's really picky and angry and almost impossible to please. Because in Jesus' time, The religious leaders had developed something called the Mishnah, 700 pages of small print legislation that wasn't biblical. Frankly, a lot of it was ridiculous. They had legislation about how much you could greet a bride on her wedding day. There were rules about that, how much you could comfort a widow at a funeral. You couldn't look into a mirror on the Sabbath. If you did, you might find a gray hair. If you pulled it out, you'd be working on the Sabbath. They asked searching questions like, can you pray if you're working in the top of a tree? <laughs> can a man divorce his wife for burning a meal? <laughs> Do not say amen, sir. <laughs> it will not go well for thee. Is a man ceremonially unclean for touching a mouse? And I'm not making this one up. If you are making bread while naked, that's what I'm thinking. And then you want to use that bread for an offering, is it unclean? That one's been worrying me for quite a while. And the Pharisees had 229 rules just about having a meal. So here's where you are as a first century Jew in the time of Jesus. God's probably forgotten you, and if he remembers you, he's irritated, and he's got a bunch of rules. And then after 400 years of silence, suddenly one like Elijah comes, John the Baptist, in the southern Judean wilderness, and he's got odd fashion choices, and he, really weird eating habits like snacking on Kentucky fried locusts, you know, that's kind of weird. And he's a voice crying in the wilderness. And they say, are you the Messiah? He says, no, one is coming. And then the silence is really broken because Jesus comes. And he grows up in obscurity. He begins his ministry teaching the people not only how to live, but he wants them to know... What God is like he is not the abandoning one he is not the picky one he is the caring one the God who cares for the birds like the father who cares for his wayward son so what can we learn here so first of all if you're following along in the outline let's see that he's the God who calls us home he's the God who calls us home The prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament spoke of how birds know how to find their way home. He referred to birds that would pass through Israel, migratory birds. Even the stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons, and the dove, the swift, and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. Jeremiah is saying, look at the birds. They know how to get home. What's the matter with God's people? Now, geese are not the brightest of creatures, but they know how to head south in November. They just know. And uh, migratory birds, this is remarkable, they can remember the location of their birth and return to it thousands of miles when they're thousands of miles away. And they don't have Siri right? They don't, they've don't. got some kind of internal GPS system, and we don't really know. We believe that they navigate using the sun, stars, the Earth's magnetic field, in the case of one species, smell. But think about that. Thousands of miles from home, without a map, and you find your way to the exact spot. There is one bird, the Arctic tern that flies over 49,000 miles every year because it goes between the Arctic and the Antarctic. There's another bird, the bar-tailed godwit, who made up these names. They can cover 7,000 miles without resting. They know how to head home. And the prodigal knows how to head home too. It says... He came to himself. He comes home to himself. And then he says, I will arise and go to my father. I'm going to go home. And there's repentance here. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Now, the birds know how to go home. The prodigal knows how to go home. But but let's just not, let's be careful here because the birds aren't perfect, because they can get distracted. On their way home. How many of us, living in beautiful Colorado, have had birds flying into our windows in the last couple of weeks? Just raise your hand if you've ever, uh, you've, if you've had that in the last. Yeah, a few of you had. We had two hit our windows last night, just in unison and uh, smack. It was it was deafening, and I I jumped up and was momentarily preparing to repel the invaders by running around the house while screaming. That would certainly send them off. But what was going on there is it's mating season, and birds go crazy, and they think it's an enemy in the reflection. See, birds do stupid things when there's sex involved. Sex. Sex. Whenever there's sex. That was my impersonation of the bird. Birds do stupid things when there's sex involved. Mind, so do humans, right? Oh, yeah. In fact, Jeremiah, the verse before the bird verse, he says this. They just kept at it blindly and stupidly, banging their heads against a brick wall. Jeremiah's picking this up. John Piper says sin gets its power in persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. The power of temptation is the prospect that it will make me happy. Are we flying against the window? Are we far from home? Our Jewish friends have a beautiful word that is translated repentance. It's teshuva. Teshuva. Translated repentance, but teshuva, means homecoming when we come home to ourselves, when we come home to the God who makes home for us. You see, when we consistently live outside of our core values, we tilt into invisible stress. There's a dissonance, there's a fracturing within us. God calls us home. But then secondly, secondly, He's the God who sees us and comes running. He's the God who sees us and comes running. Look at what Jesus says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? Now, I think sparrows are kind of beautiful. I I mean, look at the the colors and all of that. But in Jesus' day, they were considered to be completely worthless. They were at the bottom of the bird. hierarchy, if you like. And they were two a penny, worthless. And in the prodigal story, we see that just as the father sees the sparrows, so the father sees the prodigal. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. Look at this. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, when they When the crowd heard Jesus say that, they would have gasped. Because in first century Israel, no man would ever run. It was considered to be undignified. It was not practical. You wore long robes over your toes. Try running in a long gown. So the only answer would be to hitch up your gown so you could run... But that would be considered to be like going naked in the street. It would be shocking. And so no man would, with dignity would ever run. In fact, the Pharisees taught that if a man discovered that a bird had got underneath his gown on the Sabbath, he had to leave it there all day. Can you imagine that in church? Hi, good to see you. What's the matter with you, Jeff? Oh, it's all right. I've got a sparrow in my shorts. You know, it's uh, This was so shocking that for a thousand years, the Arabic translation of this story edited out, he ran and just put in, he went. It's so shocking. Question, why did the father run? Why did he say, quick, bring the ring and the robe? What's the big haste? Jesus' audience would know. They understood immediately. If a prodigal son came home, or daughter, decided to return to a village that they would shamed, and the villagers heard they were returning, they would intercept that person, and they would perform a ceremony of rejection. It was called the kazaza ceremony. You would put corn and parched nuts into a jar and you would intercept the returning soul, and you would hold the jar in their face, and then you would smash it into as many pieces as you could. You would then say, our relationship with you is as broken and irretrievable as this broken jar. We reject you. You are dead to us. Why did Dad run? Because he wants to get there before the ceremony starts. He wants to get there ahead of the kazaza. And what is it that dad says? He doesn't say, you're dead to us. He says, my son was dead and now he's alive again. This is better than a touchdown at the Broncos stadium. This is beautiful news, everybody. Grace wins the race. And God sees us, not as the eye in the sky. Were well, you told that when you were being raised? You, don't you be mean to your brother. God's watching you. Catholic, the Catholic writer Nancy Myers, the God of the Gotcha. What's our concept of God? Because what we think about God determines how we live. Is he, is he the eye in the sky with his finger trembling over the smite button? He sees, comes running. Thirdly, he's the God who lifts us. He lifts us. Jesus is talking about worth. And so he says, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Again, the bottom of the pile. But Jesus says, you're worth. If if God cares about the sparrows, don't you think he cares about you? And the psalmist picks up this idea of worthlessness and grace. In the Psalm 84, Lord who rules over all, even the sparrow, even the sparrow has found a home near your altar. The son feels worthless. I am no longer fit to be called your son. But instead, the father runs and says, quick, and there's a robe and a ring which speaks of authority, a signet ring, sandals which speak of dignity. And notice this. The father doesn't say, No, you are worthy, because he's not. But the father makes him worthy. See, here's the bit that I've always struggled with about this story the kid stinks. He's not had a shower, people. He's been with pigs. And what does dad do? It's ridiculous. He says, bring the best. What? I mean, get him in the shower and tell him to clean up his room first before you dress him up. But you see, that is what one writer describes as the mad mathematics of grace. That God doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. But rather, he drapes us in a robe of righteousness. He gives us his righteousness. We are not worthy. But in Christ, we become worthy. It's outrageous. Now Isaiah says, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. And yet, still, looking around this auditorium, I'm guessing that some of us live lives of shame. And we kind of believe this stuff, but we don't believe it enough to cover that thing that we did. We tend to define ourselves by our worst moments. I was talking to someone this week, and they were telling me about their kids. They've got a beautiful family, and the kids are doing amazing things, and are you like me? When you hear about other families, you always feel about the shortcomings of your own. Not the family. I'm, I'm thrilled with my kids and we have a great relationship and they're doing great stuff. But, but I think about my own parenting. Anyone else like this? And I think about the worst moments of my own parenting. And I know like when some of my worst moments were, like trying to teach my daughter to drive. There should be something in the Bible prohibiting that. Ridest not in thine daughter's chariot. For if thou doest, it will not go well with thee. And great shall the screaming be thereof. <laughs> I remember it trying to teach. No, stop that. Turn left. No, fuck. they crying. And they go, oh, I'm sorry, honey. And far more seriously Holy Spirit help us what is the worst moment in your history that you define yourself by and it is time for you to allow Father to drape the robe of righteousness and you feel the luxury of it and it's undeserved and it almost weighs heavy on your shoulders and you're thinking, can this be true? But it is. And we stop arguing with him. Have I run out of words to say? No. I just want that to settle. Fourthly, he's the God who provides for us. He says, look at Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. Your father who is in heaven feeds them. And in the prodigal story, there's a a party, a celebration. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Jesus is not saying, don't work. He's not saying don't save. When he says the father feeds the birds, God doesn't go up to a pigeon. Not crazy about pigeons. Lots of pigeons, pooping everywhere. God doesn't go here, pidgey, 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 pidgey. The pigeons have to go looking for the food, right? He's not saying inactivity, but what he is saying is that broadly he is the provider. There's a problem. You say well if that's true how come that it's estimated that before covid there were 149 million people living in famine on planet earth and since covid they estimate by the end of this year 270 million people living in famine let's be honest about it some of them are christians so how does this work well what i can say is that god has provided enough I was reading a Bloomberg report just yesterday that with the right irrigation and farming practices, there is enough every year to feed two and a half times the population of the earth. The problem is not provision, the problem is stewardship and distribution. God generally has provided. But I also need to say that there are some specific times of provision when God specifically provides for us. And as I conclude this message, I want to share one of those with you. And actually, this story is, to me, it's wonderful. And I'm slightly offended by it as well because I could think of other things that God could do. But I just want to share this with you because preparing this message, I woke up to something this week that has taken me 25 years to figure out. 25 years ago, we were living in England. My wife and I, our children were growing. Our house was very small. We had a single lady living with us from the church. She was on a discipleship program. We didn't have much space. And we felt like we needed to get a larger house. We put our house on the market. Nice little house. It sat on the market for a year. No one even came by to look. We just thought, okay, okay. It's not going to happen. One day, our son was playing with a friend in the north of our city, and Kay and I had to go to collect him. Kay and I had to go to pick him up. (laughs) I saw mass confusion descend there. Collect him, collect him. We had to go and pick him up. So we sat outside this house where our son was playing, nice long drive, beautiful trees. We just sat there waiting for him to come out and I turned the car engine off and we sat there in the quietness and suddenly all the birds in the trees at the end of this drive started to sing and they went ballistic, it was like really loud and I I said to Kay, listen to those birds and she said yeah that's what they do, it's their job description you know, they they, they sing I said no, there's something about those birds that are singing in those trees and I and so when you're looking at me, again, you're thinking, where are you going with this? This sounds crazy. Well, it is crazy. We drove off. Richard jumped in the car. We drove off. A couple of weeks later, we had this pastor from America come visit our church. He was, from, he was new to us. He didn't know any of us. And we had a leadership gathering with him. And he spotted me and Kay sitting out there. And he said, you guys there, um, pointed to us, he said, Anything I can pray with you about? And I, I, you know, I said, oh, yeah, okay. Um, We want to sell our house and buy our our house. Could you pray with us about that? He said, sure. So he started to pray. And then he stopped praying, and he said this. He said, God is showing me that he's going to give you a house. And then he said, he said, I can hear the birds singing in the trees. I can hear the birds singing. He said, God says, go get their house. Now, at first I thought, I can hear a few birds singing as well. And they're all going, cuckoo. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Go over to the house, kick the door in and say, get your furniture out. We've heard the birdies. (laughs) Two or three days later, my wife gets a call from the lady who owns that house. She said, my husband has got a sudden promotion. We are moving out of town. Can our kids get together to play? Kay said super quickly, are you selling your house? The lady said, yes. Kay said, can we come over, like right now? She said, yeah, come on over. So we got in our car. We put a blue flashing light on top of the roof of our car. No, we didn't. We drove over there. Two-story house, we look around the ground floor. I look at Kay, she looks at me. I said to this lady and her husband, I said, we want to buy your house. They said, you haven't even been upstairs yet. I said, I don't care, I've heard the birds. We want to buy your house. (laughs) She said, well, okay, but we need to move quick. We're going to list the house with a realtor next week. So if you want this, you need to sell yours by Friday. It's Tuesday. We've been on the market for a year. No one's looked. We come out of the house and Kay turns to me and she says, we're gonna sell our house by Friday. I said, oh look, there is a pig coming into land. Wednesday, the realtor calls us. He says, I've got someone who wants to see your house. We're going, hallelujah, I had but a tambourine. I am excited. They show this guy around. He says nothing. He said, thank you very much. He goes away. Thursday, the realtor calls back. He wants to come see your house again. We stayed in the house and uh, while he came, and I'm following him around, you know, praying, Jesus... This is the bathroom in Jesus' name, you know. (laughs) And he went off. Friday, 4 p.m., one hour to go, closing at 5. The realtor calls. He's made an offer. I told Kay, it's not enough. We couldn't afford the difference. I said, it's not enough. We've got one hour to go. Ten minutes later, the realtor calls back. You've sold your house. Fifty minutes to go. And we did. Now, why why did that happen? I don't know why that happened. There were lots of other prayers that would be more worthy of being answered. But here's the thing I figured out just preparing for this message. I heard the birds in the trees. God did that for us. And while I'm preparing this, birds and provision, the one brain cell on this side of my head finally connected to the other brain cell on the other side of the head, and it said, birds represent provision. Oh, yeah! God wasn't just having fun with the birdies singing, but this was beautiful. It was fun, but it was beautiful symbolism of the provision of God. And after 25 years, I only got to see it because I'm talking to you. And I think the Lord must be going, Duh. <laughs> so as the worship, come, the worship team come back to give you hope, <laughs> He's the God of provision. And this is not name it, claim it, health on wealth. Call the toll-free number right now on the screen in Jesus' name. And your pack of plenty is on the way. It's not that. But do we swing so far away from some of that craziness and we forget to ask and bring our needs to him? And some of us have realized this in my own life this week. There are things I've stopped asking him about because I'm discouraged. I've prayed for them for years and they haven't happened. And I'm stirring my heart again to ask. Ask. he's the father who cares let's pray we thank you for the picture of your care in the birds, in the prodigal story some of us need to come home to Shuvah home to ourself and home to you show us where we are living in the far country Some of us coming home for the first time, making a commitment to follow Christ, become Christians. Some of us stagger around, draped in shame, defining ourselves by our worst moments. Lift us, Lord. Help us to stop struggling with you, wrestling with you, insisting on paying, resisting the robe of righteousness. Some of us have forgotten to ask for your provision. We don't want to be self-obsessed. We recognize the needs of our world. We want to give and share. And we also want to be able to say, Lord, would you provide? For those who need your provision right now, provision of a job, mm-hmm. finances, repairing families, hope, we ask